here we are officially live yes we've been chatting for about 20 minutes here but uh but now we're uh we're actually actually live and, and talking so we'll we'll uh, change some of our topics no, <laughs> drop the f-bomb <laughs> that's right that's right keep the cussing to a minimum so um all right well uh today i have uh jordan davis with me um she is the uh owner ceo broker extraordinaire of all things uh when it comes to the davis team but um powered by keller williams is that the right way yeah, to say it yep. okay so um she has uh is i should say um one of the most dynamic women that i've ever met honestly um okay. when it comes to things that she's involved with uh stuff that she's accomplished and is working on accomplishing um i don't know that you're going to come across too many people that are as motivated or as uh, getting after it as jordan is so um i thought this would be a great conversation simply because um every time i talk to you i learn a little bit and <laughs> um i kind of feel a little dumb when i speak to you so uh you know I i'll try to keep that to a to a small amount today so i don't feel so bad for myself but uh but ultimately um i wanted to bring you in just because i wanted to pick your brain some i think that um especially in the market that we're in currently and where we may be headed to next year, I think there's a lot of things that you're doing um, and have planned that could really benefit um, a lot of realtors out there. Sure. Uh, whether or not they're on your team or not, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of, there are a lot of um, trainings and a lot of information that you have that I think would be valuable for anybody kind of in a little bit of a panic right now because mm -hmm. their income has dropped significantly sure. and they don't know where where things are headed so um so i want to get into that um give some of the details on that but i always kind of start with the backstory because um you know everybody is uh is where they are today but not always have good perspective on where you came from so okay. uh so tell me a little bit about you no know, i was going to joke around and ask you uh what it felt like having your husband get you into real estate <laughs> based on our conversation yesterday but i was like oh, I'll, I'll just pass on that one so um but uh, it, it was a joke we were talking about yesterday or the other day when we were at an event because um, she keeps getting asked by people outside, you know, uh, how her husband got her <laughs> into uh -huh. real estate. And it's quite the opposite, actually. Um, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, so um, where are you from? How'd you get to this place? Um, how'd you get to be the dynamo of the, of the Davis team and uh, all those things? Cool. Um, yeah. So I'm from Bethany, Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, that's where I was born and raised. And... Um, after high school, I was actually enrolled for OU and then changed my mind, decided I wasn't quite done playing volleyball. I went to a small Christian college in my hometown called Southern Nazarene University. You were a volleyball player. Um, I, I, yeah, I was, am a volleyball player. This is why I, I have uh, three, well, before the first knee surgery, one of three knee surgeries. I okay, had. so that's uh, why you had the knee surgeries. Uh, number one and number two. Number three was pickleball. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So do you are you playing a lot of? Do you play sand or do you play on the court? Mm -hmm. Where where do you play at? Um. So uh, actually, my director of operations, Leah Real, uh -huh. and I um were in a women's league. Even Valencia, our ISA, would play sometimes. Really. And uh, we were in a women's league, and it was a women's competitive, okay. and that's where I tore my ACL. Wow. Yeah. My, my daughter's a, soft, or a volleyball player, so okay. she's a freshman at Mansfield High School. But, nice. uh She plays club for NRG, so yep. we're we're deep into that world these days, so I'm, I'm fascinated by that, and especially because you're still doing it, so yeah. that's great. And Leah, my director of operations, the first day that we were at Keller Williams, we sat down to be like, what is this real estate thing? We just got our license. Yeah. And so we sat down for our first day of training, and I happened to sit right by her, and we both 
played volleyball, coached club volleyball at the time. Oh, wow. And uh, had just gotten a real estate so license. So you coached so, too? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to have to pick your brain about that at some point. <laughs> one one life, one a lifetime of mine. Yes. So yeah, Bethany, Oklahoma, I went to Southern Nazarene University. Um, after two years there, I decided, hey, I really need like a bigger area. I had just kind of outgrown where I was from and I needed more. Um, I could definitely see you being in a small town, having a hard time with that. I could certainly see that. Yeah. And especially a small campus. It was a lot like high school. So yeah. I um, had gone to a summer camp, worked at a summer camp, um, Rock and Sea Ranch. They're not there anymore, but they're in Tyler, Texas. Uh, learned about Texas A&M and I went and visited a guy I was dating from there okay. um, and ended up enrolling and um, started A&M. That's where I met my, my husband okay. at Texas A&M. Not, not the first guy that you chased. Nope. Okay. Nope. Not the guy I followed to A&M, but the guy I left with. We'll see it worked out great. Then. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so we graduated in 2007, class of 2007, whoop. Um, and so um, Matt and I, kind of interesting, uh, it was 2007, 2008. So I was like December 2007. I barely made it. Okay. Um, and the economy was crashing, yes. right? And mm -hmm. so things were um, not great. Yep. yep. Uh, Matt was in oil and gas. He had a dad that was like a vice president in oil and gas um, for one company and mm -hmm. kind of set him up with a job. And Matt, really hated it. Um, so he was trying to break into the current industry that he's in now, which is selling corporate benefit insurance. Okay. His cousin was engaged, met him at their engagement party, and that's what he did for a living. So that was his in into that. So he got into that right, pretty much right out of college. About right? a year after. A year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we were engaged. Mm -hmm. And so that moved Matt to San Antonio, but I had just taken a job in Houston. Mm -hmm. And so we did our first year of marriage in different cities. Really? Yep. Wow. And How was that? <laughs> That was difficult to say the least. Oh yeah, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, I, I I had a hard time the first couple of years of marriage just because I worked a lot. I can only imagine if I lived in different cities. Yes. So Matt would come home Thursday night, work from home Friday. Yeah. Um, but then he would leave Monday morning at like five in the morning to be at the office in San Antonio at 8 a.m. Wow. So after a year of that, I just said like something's gotta give. Yeah. And I happened to babysit his his boss's kids. And so I I called him up and was like, we agreed to six months. It's been a year. Like something's got to give. Yeah. So it's 2008. Nobody was moving. Um, and, you know, in order for a sales position to become available, somebody has to leave a territory and right. nobody was leaving. Well, a territory came up in Miami. So Matt was like, want to move to Miami? And I was like, you know what? We don't have kids. We don't have pets. Yeah. Let's go to Miami. Why not? So he got a senior rep territory in Miami, okay. even though he was a newbie. But they said... I can teach somebody the basics of selling insurance. I can't teach somebody drive and hard work and determination like you. That's correct. So off we went to Miami. <laughs> so I actually lived in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, and, Fort Lauderdale. That's where we yes, actually lived. I lived yeah. there for about a year. Yeah. Um, I But I didn't move there to conquer the world like you did. But I, uh, I moved there. I was going to work on a cruise ship. So I did that in college. Oh, cool. So I'm curious how your experience, what, what was your impression? What, what, what year was this? Um, so this would have been like 2009. Okay. So what was your, I was earlier than that. I was like two, 2000, but what was your impression of the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area? So being a country boy from Texas and, a, a, a Oklahoma sheltered, yeah. you know, girl, it's a different world. We just said, let's go all in. Mm -hmm. No assumptions, no presumptions. I'm sure a lot of people made assumptions about us. Sure. Right. Um, but we just went in and we were like, let's engage, like, let's eat the food. Let's listen to the music. Let's do whatever they do. And yeah. so I had some guys who would drink, um, uh, Cuban coffee 
every day at 2 p.m. And I would go downstairs in the facilities room for my office and go have Cuban coffee with the guys like every day at two. We just fully immersed and engaged and decided like we're going to set judgment or what we our expectations aside. We're going to have a blast. And mm -hmm. we had the best time. Well, we were there great. two and a half, three years and then came back to Dallas um, to have my son, Aiden. Um, I was determined to be a stay-at-home mom, so I did that for a year. <laughs> I've been working on that for a while myself. Yeah. <laughs> it just hasn't worked out for me, honestly. I did that for a year, and I was miserable. And I can't imagine you. No, th it, there's there's no way. If you ever came to me after I met you, you're like, I was a stay-at-home mom for five years. I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way. Yeah, it was a struggle. And so Matt was like, hey, listen, you did so much in sacrifice for my career. Now's your time. Figure out what you want to do. Take your time figuring it out. Chase some things that don't work out. Like find something you love. And yeah. so, you know, real quick before you continue, I want you to. But I think there's a people have an impression that when you go for something, like I'm going to go do this. Yeah. Right. And you tell everybody about it and you're like, I'm going to, let's take being a realtor. I'm going to be a realtor. I'm, you know, I'm telling my friends, my family, I'm taking the sure. test and doing all this stuff. And then it, something doesn't work out, right? For whatever reason. And there's a million different reasons mm -hmm. why. Mm -hmm. um, people tend to, you know, almost almost pull back and, and say, well, I failed. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I obviously can't do anything or I can't right. keep going. And, and I, I, I don't think that, I don't think enough people understand that failure is very much a part of the steps to get where you're sure. trying to get. And falling down on your face and going through experiences, whatever they may be, is is actually pr progress mm -hmm. it's not setting you back it's just something that you've learned and that you've you know an event or an experience that you had that you learned from and then you continued sure. and so just the fact that you know he said to you hey go try some stuff and fail at it and let's see where you land yeah. i think that's awesome yeah and i think if you look up most people that you would consider successful they you could look up their bankruptcies you could look yes. up you know their failures their failed businesses yes. and you don't know until you try and you know, I love the quote, um, a bird doesn't worry about the, if the branch beneath it breaks because it relies on its own wings. Yes. That's awesome. And so it's like, even if let's say the market went to crap, right. Mm -hmm. And, and I had to rebuild a team. Right. Would I build it faster? Sure. Would I build it smarter? Yes. Because I've done it before. You did it before. Yeah. So just knowing like, even in failure, we learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you never lose if you learn. Well, uh, I love, um, I've, I've started to appreciate Kobe Bryant a lot more mm -hmm. since, uh, since, you know, what happened to him, but whatever, but I was never a big fan of him as a basketball player because I was a Mavs fan, you know, <laughs> playoffs and, and all that stuff. But, um, after he passed away, like I, you know, you see stuff on social media, TikTok, you know, little quotes and stuff. And I see him talk all the time. Brilliant, brilliant guy. And, um, one of the things that I saw him say one time was somebody asked him, he's like, you know, how do you deal with failure? And he, he kind of got mad about it. He's like, what, what does that even mean? Like, what is failure? He's like, tomorrow is going to happen again and again and again. And whatever happened today or whatever happened yesterday, I can't carry over to the next. I'm going to learn from what I did. It happened. And now I'm going to keep going forward. Sure. And to wallow in, you know, just even that word of failure, he's like, I, I, I don't fail. I just learn constantly and I keep adapting because tomorrow's going to happen again and I can't dwell on what happened in the past. Sure. And I think that's such a valuable lesson for people because you just, we get so wrapped up. I tell my kids, um, my daughter's playing basketball or volleyball actually. And, uh, she was, she's bearish. She gets embarrassed about stuff. Aww. And so, um, I came in and said hi or something. And she's like, Oh, is that, and she was sitting with all of her teammates and I said, nobody's looking at you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nobody's, 
your mom and I are, mm -hmm. but nobody else is. Nobody else okay? is, yeah. So quit worrying about what other people think, quit worrying about what other people say, because A, most people aren't thinking about you. 90% mm -hmm. of their life mm -hmm. is not spent thinking about you. Mm -hmm. And the person most concerned with you is you. So just do your best all you can. You know, my real estate coach said that to me um, one time and he said, you know, what if I told you that if you went into your brokerage, I mean, you're the number one agent in your brokerage and everybody's going, oh, I wonder what she thinks about me. I wonder, I wonder if that email I sent her, that offer I made that didn't end up falling through. I wonder if that's why she doesn't talk to me. And I'm like, I go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But it happens. And he goes, but here you are sitting here making decisions based on what other people think about you. Right. And when you think about other people doing that for you, because you see yourself as a human being, you mm -hmm. think that's the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your life. That's right. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like I, I have people tell me I am intimidating. Like I'm the most approachable, loving, warm, authentic, but something about it from the outside seems that way. But I'm just like, but it's all our assumptions. It's the stories we have in our heads yeah. of who we are um, that keep us from, yeah, reaching that potential or. Well, I think, I think if, if many times when somebody would meet someone like you, um, it, it the intimidation factor comes from a feeling of inadequacy, sure. whether it's warranted or not. But that's what people, you know, when you're, you know, running this training program, running this team and running your life and handling all these things. And, you know, when someone asks you a question, you actually have like a pointed um, uh, answer that has that's full of context, that has actual information that someone could take back. And you talk to them in that manner, it becomes it does. It's a little intimidating because they're like, well, I don't I can't speak that. <laughs> specific and i don't know what okay and so they just nod okay I'm sorry. and then they kind of skulk away you know because yeah. it's just what it is and there's there's not um the world's not abundant of people like that and so i think that's where you probably get that feeling sometimes but again it's it's not something that you're portraying per se sure. it's just who you are you sure. know yeah so. oh so my story yes <clears throat> so anyway that was back in 2013 i got my real estate license i asked my stepmom uh, who had just retired from teaching to be our nanny because we had the one-year-old um and now we have another son so we have uh, eight and ten year old um aiden and carson and um she's still our nanny so she's been our nanny for nine years um and i we still owned our home back in florida so, oh, so you kept it? Mm -hmm. You still and have it? No, no, we sold it. But my dad bought a rental property and the realtor was terrible. Anyway, okay. this is where we finally get to the point of how I got into real right. estate. So but when was, you were coming here, your dad was buying a rental property that he was going to own that y'all were going to live in? That we lived okay. in and rented from him for gotcha. the mortgage. Yep. Gotcha. And so um, that is where I was like, gosh, if this guy can do it, I can do it. Right. And so I just thought, you know, I'll get into real estate and I'll like sell a few homes. And at the it wasn't, time, but real quick, it wasn't that if this guy could do it, I could do it. I because I have the same thing in my head. It was this was terrible, and I can do this way better than uh -huh. this guy. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yes, yes. Um, and so God bless him. He still sells real estate, so hopefully he's not listening. <laughs> um, but I, I thought, you know, I'll just sell. Okay, so I, we were paying our nanny a thousand dollars a month because uh, she wanted the difference in her retirement right? To be made up. And so she kept Aiden for the difference in her retirement. And I thought, well, if I could sell four houses this year, mm -hmm. I could pay the Pays nanny. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Yeah. So I sold 17 and that was in 2013. Yeah. Uh, 2014, um, I, I sold 24, um, uh, but I was so productive. I'd produced a child. So that was the year of Carson. Um, <laughs> 24 and, houses and a baby. It's yes, pretty solid. It's yes, pretty good production. A, a 10 did that go baby. up on the, did that go up on the board? Did yeah. You throw that one as an asterisk underneath your nose. Numbers. Well, and funny enough, with Carson, I did eight weeks on bed rest. Mm -hmm. So I started a transaction management company. 
And that's what I did in my. Because you couldn't just sit around. I couldn't. And enjoy, no, there's gonna, no way. It was going to kill me. Yes. Um, and so I actually did bed rest with both. And with Carson, I started a transaction management company. And that was um, really fun. And it was great aiding other people in their businesses. Um, and so I really enjoyed that. And then I went to a family reunion, um, a Keller Williams event called Family Reunion. And now, did you start with Keller Williams mm -hmm. when you got it? Okay. Yeah, I've been Keller with Keller Williams ever since. And you know, our recruiter, Bart Cook, he is my sponsor in Keller Williams. So he's the one that got you in. He connected us with a guy named Max Strange, Matt Strange, uh, and my husband, Matt Davis played football together. Okay. We took them to the lake one day. I told him I was getting into real estate. He said, you need to meet my friend, Bart Cook. And it was the most money Bart ever made in a phone call. I'm sure. <laughs> no. Does that still carry today? Yeah. God, yeah. Bart. Good job, Bart. <laughs> Built a career. It was really Matt. You found I mean, the diamond. You found it. It you was found really it. Matt Strange. He owes him a commission on his commission. So. Yeah, he uh, he picked up a lottery ticket on the street. Good job. Yeah, buddy. yeah. Um, and so yeah, that's what led to getting in real estate. And um, so we sold twenty four homes. I sold forty five, then ninety, one thirty five, one eighty to 15 to 30. And then that takes us to this year. We'll do about 230 home sales again uh, for 84 million in volume. And yeah, I get the pleasure every day to wake up and lead the Davis team. So how many years is it now? Nine. Nine years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, you, you hear agents all the time. I'm sure, especially when you're doing deals on a regular basis, that'll spout to you how long they've been in the business. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for 20 years. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for 30 years. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this. Usually comes across a little differently, but um, how, what would you attribute being in for such a short amount of time? Cause really in the scope of things, people have been in real estate. It's not that long. Sure. You know, it's, I mean, it's not two years, but it's also not 20. Sure. Um, what do you think is the biggest contributor from you growing as quickly as you have? Cause I mean, just with the Davis team alone, how, how many years have you had that now? Like your, your um, actual team five, for about five, five or six years. Yeah. So, you you know, four years of selling on your own and then five years of starting your team. I mean, that's, that's a very uh, quick escalating <laughs> event that occurs, you know? Mm -hmm. So what is the, what is the con the main contributing factor for you to get from starting out to where you are today? What do you, what do you think's driven you the most? I think always having mentors, whether it's paid mentors through a coach or it's, uh, like within our brokerage, you know, some of my mentors were uh, Kim Grogan, Don Lawyer, um, Corey Lehman, Bart was one of my mentors. Um, um, a friend, Jesse Howard was a mentor of mine. And, and I remember just wishing I could cap and capping yeah. then was like 12 homes. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I just saw what they did and emulated that. Um, and that was before I had like an actual coach. Um, but I saw those people and I emulated what they did. And then at a certain point I met them or outgrew them, mm -hmm. um, in production. And then it was just about finding the next mentor. Right. And eventually that mentor was Lance Logan. He sells 2,200 homes a year in Houston. Like mm -hmm. I'm behind, right? right. <laughs> I'm at like 10%, but I found somebody that I, it was going to be a really big challenge to outgrow their model. Models, and right. I just went and studied it. What right. and and luckily, like they've been gracious enough to let me ask a million questions. How do you do this? What about this position? Like the inside sales agent, that's yeah. a really hard position to nail. And I've had mine, uh, Valencia, with me for six years. Right, that's forever land in inside sales agent or so ISA. You, you started with basically you found when you got in, you found somebody that was performing better than you were, mm -hmm. and then when you you know I, I think mentor word gets thrown around a lot, but 
what do you, when you say mentor, what do you mean? Like, what did you take them to lunch? Did you pick their brain constantly? Were they calling you, talking to you through phone calls? Like what, what was that relationship like? I was just going to be wherever they were. Right. You were just following them around. What are you doing? Okay. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. Okay. And so (laughs) you just stayed in the hip pocket and then learned and absorbed. And then as you would progress past that person in volume, time to get a new mentor, it's time to find somebody else because Mm -hmm. what's that, uh, what's that saying where you're an algorithm, uh, Average of the five people you surround yourself yeah, with. Yes, yeah, exactly. And I believe that we will grow in correlation of the amount we're willing to be uncomfortable. Right. So I would find somebody, I, Danny McElroy, um, who still is in real estate today and a great friend. Um, at one point, I asked him to coach me. Listen, this guy like is intimidating AF. Yeah. And and I picked Danny because I knew like I sometimes I can keep my way out of stuff and I didn't want to, I wanted to grow a business. I had hired um, my stepdad as our transaction coordinator. So for the record, I'm employing my stepdad and stepmom at this point. You're employing the family. Everybody's Not my in. parents, right. but my step parents who yes. were gracious enough to live with us for 20 years. <laughs> um, and so my stepdad was our transaction coordinator. He had retired and he found himself bored mm-hmm. and he was like, well, do you have more contracts? I would go get deals just to get him to busy. give him something to do. <laughs> Which is hysterical. And that's really where my why came from was I'm so passionate about helping other people achieve their goals. And yeah. I think that sounds cheesy, maybe. I don't know. But I I just I mean I, I think it I think for some people it can sound cheesy, but I don't think that that, that, that that's you. Like yeah. that's just you. That's just who you are. And and some people say it and it, you're like, okay, whatever. But I yeah. Don't, if I don't you ask so. me how was your year, I wouldn't tell you about the trip my husband and I took to Portugal. I tell you about our inside sales agent who took our kids to the beach for the first time and put right. their toes in the sand for the first time. Yeah. I mean that stuff. I, I would tell you about, you know, an agent on my team who hit $200,000 in GCI and yeah. nobody on our team's ever done that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, our, our inside sales agent again, hit I feel like that gets you a little emotional. It does. Yeah. 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 And I our inside see. sales agent was the first person in our entire family to hit six figures. Yeah. Like that stuff sets my soul on fire. Yeah. And so that's what I pursue. And you know, a positive consequence is I make more money. Yeah, of course. I mean, if you do things right, things happen, benefit to you, but where do you think that that I know you said, because I've heard you say this before, your why, and I and I know what that is, but or not necessarily yours, but I know what you mean by that. But um, the drive that you have, you know, mm-hmm. I think, it, like you said earlier with your husband, right? When he went to Florida, he said, look, I can train you how to do this. I can train you how to do that. I cannot train you how to have the drive and to get up every day and go do these things. Sure. So where do you think, where did that start with you? Like, you know, I'm sure you've had it since you were a little kid, but mm-hmm. like, is that, do you think that's a genetic thing? Was it some, was it a situation you were in as a kid that just made you like, I'm never happened to let this happen to me again. Like how, where did that drive come from? Do you think? Yeah. So I'm not money driven. I'm people driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always have been. So I went to school for a psychology major. Like okay. I love people. I love understanding people. I'm fascinated by people. I want to know their stories. I get obsessed. Um, and So that's part of it, of just a love for people. Um, So I grew up really poor. My parents were divorced. At one time, my dad got his house foreclosed on. The reason that he didn't lose his part-time custody was because a lady in the church said she needed a house sitter for like a year while she went to take care of her mother in London. And so we got to move into her house for a year. And that was the, I mean, having a home was terms of his custody agreement. So, so surely by the grace of God, we had that opportunity, moved in there. My dad didn't lose his every other week in custody. So (laughs) we didn't grow up with help or privilege or, you know, many resources. Um, My grandparents, my uncle, my mom, and my dad all split our college. And that's how we got college paid for. Um, And, and 
it was a family affair. To get yeah, it was. But thank God I didn't enter my adult life with debt. Right. So I'm so grateful for that and for them and the sacrifices they made. Um, so I think there was a lot of push about, um, and of course I was, you know, a high school athlete. I was a club athlete. It um, makes a very big difference when you have the discipline to sure. do the workouts and go to practice. I mean, that's that carries over those traits carry a couple of things. So one, my, for my volleyball tryouts, uh, when I was in eighth grade, I had a bunch of friends tell me that I wouldn't make the team. And I, my, one of my brothers, my oldest brother, um, forgot to pick me up for tryouts. Mm -hmm. So I took that as a sign and I walked to my middle brother's work and he said, what are you doing here? You have volleyball tryouts. And I said, yeah, I decided I'm not going to try out. I had some friends tell me I couldn't make it. And he was like, no, you're going to go and I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch you. And when you're comfortable, I'll leave. And so he did. And, uh, the coach said, you are the worst player. But uh, one tip that my brother gave me was the coach told you that. Yeah. yeah. He said, <laughs> wow. um, my brother told me, don't, don't let him see you walk. I don't care if it's a water break. You yeah. run to right. your water. Right. Okay. Yeah. So everywhere you go, you hustle. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. So I did that. And the coach, the coach said, you're the worst player from a skills standpoint, but I think you're going to make everybody else run yeah. and go and hustle and all of that. And so he put me on the team just by that. And then I wanted to play middle because nobody else was playing middle. And I thought I had a better chance to play. Everybody was swinging left side. There's like eight girls deep. What are my chances? Right. There's only like three in the middle. Right. So I'm like, I'm going to play middle. And he's like, you're not tall enough to play middle. And I was like, bet. <laughs> bet. <laughs> So senior year, I was his captain MVP as of his course. middle player, yes. starting front middle. You can't play middle. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> really? So I was just like calf raises, uh -huh. like, yeah, all, all the jumping exercises, whatever I could do. So part of it is like bet against me. That'll be cute. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that, even that's funny too. <laughs> bet against me. That'll be cute. That's a great, that's a, I'm gonna get you a t-shirt that says that. And then my uh, real estate coach, Jordan Freed just says like, you can't tell Jordan to do anything. Mm -hmm. Jordan being me. Um, we're both named Jordan, which makes it very confusing. Uh, but he's like, you can't tell Jordan to do anything. You have to make it her idea. And then you can't stop her. Right. 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 And so that's part of it too. Yes. Um, but anyway, if I, I, going back to, uh, your question, what was your question? Just, just, I, you know, the, the why part is what keeps your drive yeah. going. And where did that. that come from? Yeah. Yeah. I think loving people and then, I don't know, maybe having a chip on my shoulder and something to prove that's yeah. for sure a thing for yeah. me. Yeah. Well, I don't know that. It, I mean, you know, I don't know that you come across too many people that have great success in anything they do without a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Sure. I mean, anybody that's, if you watch the last dance with Michael Jordan and saw what he was like, if you've yeah. seen interviews with Tom Brady and see what he's like, you know, Kobe, all those guys like they're, they, you have to have, it's almost like, um, you know, Jordan used to make up reasons to be mad yeah. so he can have that motivation to create, to get out there and go get it because it's like, you're challenging me. So I said, no, I didn't even say anything like, no, no. Yeah, you did. And then you go out there and score 50 points on them. Yeah. You know? And that's just kind of um, everybody has, has to find their, you know, whatever it is that drives them on the mm -hmm. inside. And then once they get a hold of it, especially when you understand what it is, what you mm -hmm. do, then you almost can like artificially create it sometimes because if you don't have that there, you feel like empty a little bit. Like yeah. I need that push. I need mm -hmm. something to get me out there going and, and moving every day. Cause otherwise, you know, um, I'll just get stagnant and go crazy. Right. And that's what I love about, like, I can tell you um, a number of instances on our team of somebody who came into the business. It took a year or two for them to get on their feet, learn yeah. real estate, learn their job, start getting a pipeline going. And then like life just kind of hit, you yes. know? And that's one of my favorite things is just to be there and mentor and listen and understand and follow up with them. Um, even kind of counsel them, even through things I haven't been through, ask really great questions, coach them. Um, here's the other thing. I don't care what you're going through. 
having no money doesn't make it easier. No. <laughs> what, what, you know, I was going to ask you too, since you brought it up. So, you know, obviously you have your team and, and you've been running it for a while, but a lot of agents that come into the business, they start out by themselves mm -hmm. and they'll go to a brokerage and maybe they get training from somebody. Maybe they have a mentor, you know, um, but they're really alone a lot of times on their own. And the problem is, is that the team concept can scare them away because they look at the money and they say, oh, well, I'm going to have to pay this much and I'm not going to get this much on what I do. And so they tend to shy away from it sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I also hear brokers all the time talking about you need to be on a team, you need mm -hmm. to be on a team. So so what is it about being on a team that has such benefits, especially either a new agent or existing or, you know, a, one with um, um, experience? Like what, what benefits does it really bring to somebody? You know, there's an old proverb that says like um, a single stick is weak, but a bundle of sticks is not easily broken. And I really believe that. I mean, mm -hmm. going into the shift, going into, let's say COVID or coming out of COVID, our team grew tremendously and did better than any team. Like we track everybody that we're within, you know, reason of, yeah. and we've outperformed everybody else. And I think a part of that is the momentum of staying with the team, the conversation, the accountability. And, you know, sometimes it's not comfortable to constantly go in and have production conversations, but it's very uncomfortable. I've found that people will do more. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, <laughs> couple things. So we can talk about, we can talk about that. That's just from the morale, the learning, the understanding, the conversations that we're having. If you're not in our office every day, having those about interest rates and what, you know, uh, if you hear, Hey, uh, this agent over here, and she got this deal from this builder. Like if you're not hearing that, you don't know, you can go offer that to your client. Right. So there's information that you're right. just getting that you can take into the war zone with you. Right. Um, just by being around that, if you're sitting at home by yourself, you're not getting that information. So are you really servicing your client? Right. Um, but also it just pushes you to get more contracts. It's accountability. Sure. And yeah. get more contracts. So, uh, you know, I can go through, Hey, we have leads, we have leverage, sure. et cetera. First of all, we have the, best damn leverage in Dallas-Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. I, I have incredible people and they're incredible at what they do and our systems are incredible um, and I would put them against anyone. It's funny that you use the word leverage um, because that's a, I think that's a newer thing that sure. I've heard recently about how people describe resources because sure. usually when you think of leverage, you're thinking of money, you're thinking of, right. you know, leveraging an asset or something, but really resources and people mm -hmm. is leverage, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our client relationship management software is leverage. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that you could have somebody sign in at your open house and while you're picking up signs, they're auto texting them, asking them what they thought of the house and if they can set a search up for them. Right. So by the time you get your signs, those people are texting you back through your CRM mm -hmm. software. Um, then you've got people, uh, you know, and, and we have longevity with people. So, you know, as an agent, who just wants to sell. You got into real estate because you love to sell. And then yeah. you and then you find out, oh, I got to deal with paperwork and uh, I got to turn this in and that in and compliance. And there's a whole team that makes sure that you get all that done, right? right? And so they kind of protect you from yourself and from getting sued um, by ensuring that you do that. So there's that there's that and it's it's fantastic. And and the fact that, you know, when you're a newer agent and you start to have some success and then you hire an assistant, now you're responsible of training that assistant, hiring right. that assistant, firing that assistant. Um, you know, making sure they have processes and all that. You got to invent all that. You're running your own little mini business. Yes, you, you are. You and you yeah. you were like, mm, I kind of like showing houses. Right. And now you're HR. Right. Right. And so there's that. But um, if you just take a look at millionaire real estate agent, a lot of people buck at the commission splits. Mm -hmm. If you take a look at the millionaire real estate agent, it's a book written by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and if you take a look at that book, it talks about at production, what are you taking home in profit? Mm -hmm. And when you get up to, you know, 30 to 40 houses, your actual take home is about 60%. Right. And then it actually goes down. Mm -hmm. it, it goes, it dips all the way down to 40%. Mm -hmm. So I have an agent on my team that will do like 45 transactions this year yep. and she gets 50%, right. right? And so she will clear over $200,000. Right. She has the best uh, listing coordinator, buyer coordinator, director of operations, inside sales agent to set appointments for her. Um, a recruiter in case she wants like a showing assistant of her own. Mm -hmm. We have a recruiter that will recruit somebody for her and give that to her. Right. And then she has coaching with me. And most people, when you actually look at their PL, when when see here's the problem, realtors don't really understand their numbers. But if they did get their numbers from an accountant and a PL and they looked at a PL, what a their profit, actual take home would be after all loss, their expenses. Yeah, it'd be about 40%. Yeah. And so technically but all they see is that one check that one paycheck. There's like, well, this the check says less. Technically on a team, you get a raise and you get more opportunity. You get more open houses because we have more listings. You get right. first dibs at those. You get uh, leads. Uh 25% of our business comes from agent to agent referrals. So it's like Christmas. Agents show up at our office and I just give them a deal. Yeah, you told me that the other night where you spend a lot of time mm -hmm. um outside the area, yep. uh traveling and going to different conferences with training, teaching mm -hmm. and training. And then you meet brokers and other agents. Yep. And then when someone moves to this area, they're calling you and you're throwing those leads out. Yep. There. yep. And my team gets to take advantage of those. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean, not only are you getting business handed to you and and you know, I consider that I'm responsible for 50% of your business and you're responsible for 50%. So right. I'm actually going to double your business when you join our team. What I think I heard too, you had said that um, you know, everybody has their database in their sphere and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I think you actually have people working on their current sphere. And if they're, you know, keeping in touch with them and the moment that person comes back in and is ready to go, they're like, okay, here, they're ready to go again. So that, like they take that person that you've already worked with or that you already knew, but they're staying in contact to make sure that at any point when they're ready to make a sell or a buy move that that person then goes, okay, good. You're back on an agent. Go get them. Oh, you're talking about our inside sales yes, agent. Yeah. Yes. So one of the things we do is when you work an open house, you're allowed to keep one person that you mm -hmm. felt like you really connected with. You've got to put them in the CRM and we audit for that. Um, otherwise you send them to the inside sales agent. The ISA is going to nurture that lead for however long it takes. Let's say it right. takes two years and let's say Brenda did that open house, but never even talked to that person. She just signed them in and Valencia converts them. It goes back to Brenda. Wow. And it's a 10% off the top. So it costs Brenda 5% and she didn't follow up with that person she for didn't two do years. Anything. All she had to do is be in a spot where somebody wrote their name down on a piece of paper or, or scanned in there. And it's happened. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure it happens all the time. Well, that's, you know, um, whenever I deal with new agents too, uh, and we talk about different ways to continue to grow your business and whatnot, it's, it's, I always tell people, it's like, look, you can't, you know, when we get referrals or anything that come through so-and-so called, you know, we followed up with them. Well, they haven't followed up in two weeks, so they're obviously not interested. And I'm like, it's not necessarily the case. They may have reached out to you in a moment of, of, you know, uh, spontaneity to say, Hey, I want to go look at this house. And mm -hmm. then they wanted to schedule it. They set it up. They went and looked, they came home and then their daughter got home from school and broke her arm. Mm -hmm. And now life has happened and now I got to take her to the doctor. And now all of a sudden that, that little fleeting moment of thought is out of your head. It didn't mean that it wasn't what they wanted to do. It didn't mean that they weren't int intending to do something. It just meant that other things occurred yeah. that took that idea and put it to the back of their mind. Like I get old Navy emails every day, right? every single day. 
And then summer comes and I need some new summer outfits and I open the email. Yeah. I don't need it. Otherwise, I just delete it. Otherwise, you're just deleting. Yeah. If, if Old Navy thought like realtors, they'd be like, oh, this lady's never coming back right. here. She <laughs> must hate me. Right. Like yes. but that's not the truth. Yes. It's our job to follow up. And, you know, in our system, you are either going to tell us to stop. You're going to set an appointment or you're going to die. One right. of three ways right. out of our follow up <laughs> process. Um uh, yeah, I mean, if we if we treated it like old navy, it's just like, oh, now's not a good time. We'll try again tomorrow. Now's not a good time. We'll try again tomorrow. But we feel like we're bugging people, and I think it's the mindset of you're not bugging people; you're helping them, especially when you have a real value proposition and you know what you're talking about and doing. Well, if you are bugging them, they'll let you know, mm -hmm. right? They'll tell you. They'll tell you to stop. Stop. Leave me alone. Or other like, choice words. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you get the other ones too, but but I but like you said, I think that. Agents miss the idea that even just the having a CRM, right? A really simple thing. It's a very, very basic thing. You take a database of contacts that you have, emails, phone numbers, you know, addresses if you got them, put them in there right. and let that thing work for you. And they're like, oh, it sends out the birthday thing and it sends out the market snapshot. Nobody reads that. Okay, that doesn't matter. The doesn't fact matter. is your, name's coming in front your of name them. is coming in front of them. Every single time they go to swipe to delete that email, mm -hmm. it's there. Mm -hmm. Now, you can, of course, go and unsubscribe. You can tell sure. them to stop doing it or whatever. But if that motion or that time comes back around where they are ready to buy or sell and they've seen your name literally 100 times, mm -hmm. you're probably going to be one of the people they think about calling when yep. that happens. Absolutely. So um, what? Uh, so tell me about place. Okay. Um, I kind of – I still don't – I get it, but I don't fully get it. Okay. So I need to understand. I know it's it's kind of like helps manage your business. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a – a business platform for agents more or less, mm -hmm. but I know it's shaped a big part of what you guys have done. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, at one point we were offering, so, okay. So it's important to know that after a certain amount of time, probably about 90 units, we were successful enough and bringing people into our world enough, but we had no systems and, uh, so you were just kind of flying by the seat oh of your ass, gosh. basically. There it, was, there was, I'm yeah. so glad you said ass. We were a yes. shit show. Yes. Um, no, no, no. So <laughs> please, cuss away. It's fine. We're, we're fine. There's, and, there's no children watching this. And so I was like, uh, you know, we need systems so bad. Yeah. Um, so Matt, who loves corporate benefit insurance, took a break from that, came into our business for a couple of years and um, helped build this out This is when he systems. got you into real estate. The, the, yeah, this is when he got me into real estate. <laughs> uh, the other story was um, we fell in love handling objections. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've heard a couple just this week. Um, but no, I mean, so Matt came into the business, got his license um, and just hated real estate. The fact that you could not buy a house because they wouldn't negotiate a refrigerator like blew his mind because right. he was business to business sales. And it's this people, is, people's tough. Yeah, yeah, this is business to consumer. And Matt's like, you've got to be kidding me. He also was like, um, so who picks up the dinner? And I was like, no, babe, there's no company card. There's no, it's all on us. Um, and so, yeah, he came in and set up some incredible systems and that's when we hired Leah, who I met my first day of real estate school. I yep. have been asking her to get into business with me for two or three years. Um, cause she went to work for a plumbing company and was still selling real estate part-time. So finally she came to, um, run what Matt was doing and then Matt handed off the reins and then went back into corporate benefit insurance. Yeah. You told me that, and this is great about how people are is that Matt came in, built the process. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you ask Matt to execute that process, nothing will no never happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then Leah has zero desire to build a process, but if you give her the process and say, please go execute, she will dominate that. Yeah. Right. Matt will stop day three. Leah will stop the day she dies. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just their different personalities. Um, but what we were getting to was place. So when Matt got out of the business, we were providing health insurance for our, you know, employees and all of that, but there was just a lot to manage in the business. Um, also I had two agents on my team that were selling 20 to 30 homes and they were starting to wonder like, should I 
have my own team. I don't really want Jordan's job, right? Because right. I get all the problems. Um, but maybe I should have my own team. What's next for me? And mm -hmm. so I found them looking for what are the next steps? And I realized that I'm always going to be their ceiling. Right. And so, I'm, you know, I'm a just a small town girl from Oklahoma, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, talk about having that as your ceiling. Like, I, I don't know that I'm a big thinker and I'm not going to go grow a title company. I don't believe in becoming a lender. Like, that's not what I'm great at. What I'm right. really great at is selling houses, getting the most money for my sellers, getting the best deal for my buyers, finding amazing, you know, diamonds in the rough for my investors. Like, mm -hmm. that's what I love and that's what I'm passionate about. I didn't want to do the rest, but I could partner with somebody who would. So, Place provides a platform. Um, for real estate teams and they are top, you have to sell a hundred homes to partner with place. Oh, well. So it, here's the other thing about becoming top in your market is you find that the level of people to have conversation with everybody's taking from you. Yeah. Yeah. They're, well, it's like a networking meeting, right? Yes. It's like going to uh, uh, where everybody's trying to sell everybody something else. Right. Yeah. So we hit Gary Keller's top 200, which is amazing. And it was always a goal of mine, but at the same time, um, in, in, in any other room that I was in, everybody was, they wanted your ideas. They wanted to know how to handle the market. They wanted to know what value proposition to offer sellers. And so there wasn't a whole lot pouring into us and our team. Right. Um, and so I, you know, sought out Ben, flew to Bellingham, Washington, uh, which by the way, is a college town. Ben went there for college and he, he heard you had to graduate to leaves and he never graduated. So he is <laughs> running a, this massive company that's in partnership with Goldman Sachs out of Bellingham, Washington. Uh -huh. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So you found him. Uh, yeah. I mean, we had been, he was a top agent for Keller Williams. Okay. He had done expansion, which gotcha. is what Keller Williams calls it. It's kind of morphed into that. Expansion was always like, I'm going to come and I'm going to put my name on your name. Like you are now the Ben Kenny team. You right. are now, and he did a lot of that, but um, he actually struck a partnership with Chris Suarez, who was another, like if Ben was number one in Keller Williams, Chris was like number seven. Right. right? And so they merged. Um, and I always say they um, got married and I, they had a baby and she was blonde because <laughs> I was the first official place agent when they became place. They okay. merged and became place. And so with that, we kept our name. That was a big thing for my team because mm -hmm. our culture is big for sure. their, they're the gatekeepers of our culture. They will fight for it. Um, and so I actually flew Valencia and Leah, my director of operations and director of lead generation um, or inside sales agent to Bellingham with me. And they interviewed and went through the process and saw how, um, there was a number of things that they could offer, um, insurance. So agents that sell 24 homes or more are eligible for insurance. Okay. It's great insurance, blue cross blue shields. We pay, um, most of the, uh, I forget what the terminology is called, but the expense and our agent, it's like $1,100 a year for them oh, to wow. have health insurance. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, there's health insurance. There is, um, opportunity to invest. So they're working on going public. Mm -hmm. um, they got a um, investment from Goldman Sachs. So we're in partnership with them um, for a billion dollar valuation. Mm -hmm. And um, so Goldman Sachs bought, I think, 10% of place. Yeah. Um, so Ben still is the major equity share, but there's an opportunity for us as agents to 
get in that stock. And my understanding is when you go public, that 4X is 8X is 16X is whatever. And so it's a huge opportunity. And our agents could invest in that. So they could have stock. They could... um, Ben also has his own coaching program through Forward Coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, And I helped Valencia, our inside sales agent, develop a national coaching program. She now coaches like 100 agents a year on how to convert leads. So she does it full time. She's done it for six years. She teaches a program called Converted. It's a group coaching program. It's like $600 for... 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. It's really inexpensive. $50 a month or $50 a week or something like that. Um, it's a really inexpensive program to learn how to convert leads better. Right. And whether that's open houses in person or whatever. But it gave her a platform to... She had a financial goal she wanted to meet and we were having a hard time hitting it here locally with her salary and what she could make off of converting leads. Right. So... You can't add more hours to the day. No. Um, so in, uh, other than maybe adding more ISAs, doing more business, growing bigger, getting, you know, monster, uh, I didn't know what to do to help her. And so national coaching platform was great. And so uh, in this platform, our agents, once they hit 48 sales per year, they can coach four agents a month. So with Place, that kind of opened up Valencia to create her own platform for yep. coaching essentially. And any agent oh, wow. on our team. That's great. They could become a coach and one-on-one coach. Mm-hmm. You make $400 a month. If you have four clients, it's an extra $1,600 a month. Doesn't suck. It's pretty solid. Right? And and what's four hours a month, right? Yeah. And, or I'm sorry, four hours a week. Um, And so it's, it's a great, uh, you know, other way to to get ancillary income. They could also invest like when Ben rolls out title and things like that. And yeah. so, um, place just was this platform that basically for me, I saw Keller Williams developing within Keller Williams, but mm-hmm. when Keller Williams developed out what, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. like most of this stuff was already spoken for, right. for example, you can't own a franchise of Keller Williams in Dallas, Fort Worth, right? It's not happening. It's right. already dominated. Yes. And so I saw an opportunity of something being developed early on that I could get in on and it could be an incredible growth opportunity. And right. it has been. So since you couldn't great. get a franchise, it was another avenue sure. for you to get to where you were going. And a lot of people think, oh, why would you ever, you know, give 50% of your income? That's not how it works. So what happens is that basically Ben and I have a joint venture. Mm-hmm. I say Ben, it's Ben, Chris, Place, all the Place family, right? So there's a joint venture and our LLC is called BKT Belay. I named it after rock climbing because you can go higher together. Uh, and I used to rock climb in another life. And <laughs> and I didn't hurt a knee there, so I don't. What did it. you not do, Jordan? That's yeah. what really need. <laughs> um, ballet. My grandmother told me once, big <laughs> girls like us don't do ballet. So I've never done ballet. Um, but uh, I na- so BKT Belay. So um, Ben and I, or Place and I, have a joint venture, BKT Belay. That is, L- uh, you know, white labeled the Davis team. Okay. Okay. So basically, all um, income comes into that. Fifty percent goes out to the agents, including myself. If mm-hmm. I sell a home, I get paid fifty percent. Yeah. I'm on the same split as our agents. Yeah. Cool. Then all the money comes in. We pay expenses, mm-hmm. and expenses run about. So if you take 50% off the table, then 30% for expenses, what you're left with is about 20%. Okay. That gets split in half. Half goes back to place, half goes home to me. Right. So it's interesting because Bart, our recruiter, a lot of people will have a challenge with a 50-50 split. And he's like, Jordan took two 50-50 splits. Right. (laughs) She splits with the team and then she splits again in profit. Yes. And so that 10% or 12% or 15%, if we can be more profitable, that goes home to me is you know, the reward for running the team in addition to being an agent and the rest goes back to place as the platform. I, again, I think that, I think that realtors individually 
when they look at being a realtor, mm-hmm. it, it's it's all based off of the bottom line of the dollar or what they're getting, whatever. But they don't look at it as a business. Right. So if I'm, you know, Apple, right, my profit margin might be eighteen percent. Mm-hmm. That means that in order for me to create and grow and provide all the services that I do, mm-hmm. I have to pay for overhead. I have to pay employees. I have mm-hmm. to pay insurance. I have to pay all these things. Um, when all that's done, my profit. 15, 18, 10, 12, mm-hmm. depends on what industry you're in. Those And, and by the way, if you have 20% profit, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really good. As a business, yeah. Right, as mm-hmm. a business. And so I think it's the idea that it, it they don't see it as a business. They sure. see it as this is my income, this is my job. And 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 that's the that's the disheartening part about, you know, looking at realtors in general is that like you're Regardless of who you work for or what company or you know team you're on, you're a, you're a self-employed person, right? Like you're a 1099. You're getting what you're getting. You're paying your own taxes. You're handling that stuff. So if you're looking at it as, you know, this is my job, well, then you're going to be limited by that forever. Sure. Yep. But if you look at it as this is my business that I'm trying to develop and grow, then the and not look at your take-home pay, but look mm-hmm. at your profit at the end when you're done. Right. That's how you exponentially grow over time. Sure. Right. Yep. You're exactly right. And I think what's really interesting about Place as a platform as well is again we have all these top agents throughout the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. Um, and they're broker agnostic, mm-hmm. so you're going to learn from people in all different brokerages because sometimes we just pass around the same ideas. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then additionally, um, everybody is required to maintain twenty percent profit. So we actually maintain a little bit more than that. I think last year was 24%. Um, But uh, everybody is required to maintain that. So remember, they have to be over 100 units Mm -hmm. and they have to be profitable. And a lot of times at conferences, people get put on stage that aren't profitable. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're going to go emulate that and then find out that it's a dead end road because you're not going to actually turn money from it. What was the point? Just to be on stage? No, thanks. You can keep your stage. I'll keep my profit. Right. Right? And so you can't change people's lives being on stage. I mean, I guess you can, you can by what you say and all of that, but, um, you know, really being a profitable business and giving opportunities to our team members to me is how you're changing lives and helping them build wealth and helping your clients build wealth. And so I love that I am a part of a network. I almost see them as like siblings Mm -hmm. of top agents in their market who are required to hit that profitability level because you don't get the bullshit. Right. Because I can go look at their PL. It's all open book. I can go yeah. pull up any of my partner's PLs. Yeah, you're not, uh, you're not th- th- this big top line number. You're like, oh, that's great. But then they spent all exactly. of this to get there. You don't realize they're spending 50000 a month in leads or they're yep. doing whatever they're doing. And so they're only taking home that much. Well, then it's not as impressive because yep. when you look at your, you know, K1, W2, whatever it is that you get at the end of the year, like that's the number that. Yeah, because you know what my budget is for leads? Right. Five hundred dollars a month. Right. <laughs> I run a I run a two million dollar company. Yes. And I spend five hundred dollars a month on yes. leads. Um, so things are changing. Yeah. Or, or have I mean we're in the middle of it. Things have changed a lot just in the last twelve months. Um does it feel like an earthquake? Like <laughs> uh I mean it's different, but I I mean I've said since it happened, I'm like we're we're getting to we're being normal. You know, mm-hmm. I mean it this this market that we've been in for the last really ten years has mm-hmm. been not normal. Yep. You know, you can't hold our rates artificially low for that long sure. a period of time and drive home prices up the way they have and expect things not to not to shift over. But and I do think it's better because, you know, the last two years the sellers have had so much control over the mm-hmm. transaction yeah. and buyers have been really kind of, you know, taken out to the woodshed essentially. Yep. And I do think that's starting to shift. So I think it's a good thing. Um, and I also think that, you know, whether it be lenders or agents or title companies or whatever, there's been a mass influx of 
uh, uh, people into our industry. Mm-hmm. And anytime you have a large amount of people that flow into a particular industry, then you deal with, you know, you have people the less don't profession- know what they're talking yes. about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are a little less professional than others, let's mm-hmm. say, right? So I think there's going to be, there has been, and will continue to be a bit of a culling of sure. people to get out because they can't afford to pay their bills. Um, so I think all of these are good things. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when you have the forest and you have a forest fire and it burns it all down, well, that's mm-hmm. so stuff can grow, yeah. you know, when it's done. Um, but uh, if as an agent going into this market or being in this market right now, how important is, you know, I know you guys are running business planning mm-hmm. and you're talking, you're having seminars uh, to prepare agents for what kind of business they need to run going forward. So, mm-hmm. so tell me a little bit about what you guys are offering as far as the business planning side of things go. And then also, you know, what are some key elements if you were to pick out one or two or three things that an agent really needs to focus on over the next 12 months to continue to grow? What would those be? Sure. Yeah. So we've prepared our team and that's been coming really since like July uh, because Goldman Sachs and Place and Ben have been preparing us. Right. Right. And so we got prepared very early for what was coming and started doubling down on lead generation. Um, And, you know, it just became about increasing activity. And I don't even care what you have pending because it's coming. Right. It was like winter is coming in Game of Thrones. Um, And so, uh, uh, we started doubling down very early and now we realize, Hey, guess what guys? Uh, we can't do business. I mean, we can't do all of Dallas Fort Worth's business, right? right? Even if it drops to a third of what was happening, we can't be both sides of it. So we've got to educate the other real estate agents in the industry of what's going on and what they should be expecting and what are the activities they should be doing. So that's why we've started offering courses in our, or masterminds in our office, just to reach out to other agents, um, and uh, start helping them along the process. Because again, if I got a listing, I need you to bring a buyer. Yeah. So I need you to know what you're doing. I need yeah. you to know how to convert a lead. I need you to know how to you know, get them there. Um, and so I think it's really important to level up our entire industry. And what well, makes that. the transaction that much better? Just sure. because if everybody knows what they're doing on all sides, sure. then everything goes much, much smoother. The client, or the buyer and the seller both have a better experience. Therefore, sure. lead for future referrals for everybody else. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a benefit across the board you know, it was a high, you know, high tides lift all boats. Yeah. That's what we want to do is we want to get everybody on the same page. Yeah. And then also there needs to be a respect for the seasonality that is real estate. So, you know, um, when you look at a professional athlete mm-hmm. and to be honest, I mean, with what we can get paid, it's like CEOs, executives, all of that. Right. And there is a time to push and there is a time to rest. Right. And so right now it's really about doing the activity, the commitment mm-hmm. for our team. It's 50, uh, real estate related conversations a week. Okay. Um, they have six open houses a month. You know, there's some other requirements there, trainings for them to be at. Um, but if they hit their 50 connects and they're really having good real estate related conversations, I hope they take off and go Christmas shopping. I right. hope they go take a vacation. I hope they go, you know, spend some time with their family because when push time comes, we're pushing, you know? So curious, what's a 50, what, what is a conversation? How does that, how do you measure that? Yeah. So it could be text, email, phone call, uh, Facebook message, et cetera, but it has to be a real estate related conversation. Right. And it can't just be, you made a real estate post and 50 people liked it. Right. Right. And so <laughs> it's really like, what are your real estate goals? in 2023? Or do you know anybody looking to buy, sell, or invest in real estate uh, that I could help? And so if you can have 50 of those conversations, then, you know, at that point, you just need to take some time, especially if you're an established agent, um, and and get some rest, relaxation, get your errands done, get your Christmas shopping done, et cetera. But then come back the next the next week and let's do another 50 connects. Yeah. Um, and so we are in a seasonality that I think people need to prepare for. Like you're just not going to force somebody to buy a house if they're not going to buy a house. But also 
but what it feels like right now and what it used to feel like, but we didn't have this for two or three years. It feels like you were on the highway going 90 and now you're on a service road having to go 25 and yes. it's painful. Well, and that, and, and part of the issue, and we've dealt with it on our side and for sure. lending too, is that we went from, like you said, going on the freeway 90 miles an hour for two years. There was two solid years mm -hmm. where there was no, no December slow and it was just balls to the wall go all the time. And yep. even like within our group and our team, you know, we would sit back and go, can we just, I just need like a week. Like mm -hmm. I just need to get caught because I just got to get caught up from all the stuff that's happening. And yeah, now we're on the access road going 20 miles an hour. And that's, that's a big adjustment from where you were, but it's not unusual. And if the goal, Mike, is to have a good career, not just a good year, yeah, then take the time and relax knowing, you know, we're one of the basic needs of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> Food, water, shelter. Yes. Like it's not going anywhere. Right. 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 And it, even if interest rates got up to 18%, like yes. it wouldn't go anywhere. No. Right. It is one of the basic needs of mankind. Right. And as much as you can bunk up with your mom, that's going to get old. So yeah. at some point you're going to figure out a way to afford it. We did back in the eighties, we will do it again. And so it's just really about like having that patience and you know what, if to make a great Christmas, you need to go Uber or yeah. deliver for Amazon, go do that. Yeah. There's no shame in that. Yeah. Make it happen. Um, but make your 50 connects a week. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and if at the end of the quarter, we find that you're not hitting the goals and we're not seeing the nurture, the lead measures, nurtures, yeah. appointments taken under contract, closed, right? That's the sales funnel. If we're not seeing the nurtures, the appointments, then we may need to adjust new hundred connects, right. but it's a, you know, we know our numbers. I need eight transactions for my team every month in order to pay the bills. Right. I have $32,000 in fixed expenses every month. Yes. I need eight transactions in to order that to out. hit that. And so as long as I have my eight, you know, sometimes I also have to turn off the news, turn off the, um, mentors that are doom and gloom, right? And just know what it takes to hit your numbers and let the rest go, right? Yeah, it's really hard to, because we spend so much time on our phones and social media and everything mm -hmm. that, um, and everybody's trying to get eyeballs mm -hmm. and, and clicks that a lot of times um, those, uh, those posts and those people are talking about the doom and gloom mm -hmm. just to get you to tune in. And right. if you if you put yourself in that world on a constant basis and see that regularly, you're mm -hmm. going to wake up every day thinking that the world's going to end. Right. Um, and as opposed to just living within right. you know, your lane, staying where you are and doing what you can. You also need to understand that that's what your client's being told. Right. So I always tell my team, it's like church. It's like Sunday school when we were kids and they would talk to us about, okay, it's great to come to Sunday school and learn about Jesus and put them in your heart, right. but don't leave them there. Like right. you got to take them out, or out and like share them with the world. Right. Yeah. And so I tell them like, I tell my team, when you get this education and you learn that interest rates are actually down, mm -hmm. yes, uh, FHA is in the fives, mm -hmm. you've got to go share Jesus with the world. Like yes. go tell the world what's actually going on because the news is still going to do what is still going to broadcast what sells. Yeah. So you have to be the voice of reason. You have to educate the consumer. You've got to actually make the connects. It's a, you know. Real estate is a, is a contact sport. So mm -hmm. get out there and make some contacts. And so you've got to get who's in your pipeline, who's shown some interest. Yeah. I need to call them and let them know interest rates have dropped. I need to send out a mass email, text, whatever. Who can I get in front of today? The other thing is, is we got so consumed from 2020 and Zooms. Mm -hmm. Get off Zoom. Yeah. 
Go meet people. Right. <laughs> go get a go person. have coffee. Yeah. My God. Yeah. And everything just became so efficient and so non-contact. And we've lost that human and personal connection. And we've mm -hmm. got to get back to that. And what a great, what a blessing to get a chance to slow down and get back to that. Mm -hmm. Because 2020 was not, I mean, there was that two weeks we were in quarantine. Other than that, there was no slowdown to it. No, right. No, it was crazy busy. It was insane. Um, when you talked about, you, you said, brought up interest rates a couple of times. So I, I've been on a bit of a soapbox myself in the last month or two about, you know, and obviously I tell them, like, look, I'm in the business. I want to do loans. You're a realtor. You want to sell houses. Yeah. We get it. However, right now is one of the best times that you could buy a house 100%. that ha we've seen in a very long time. A million percent. And people are so wrapped up in interest rates. And, and I'm telling everybody, like, you're looking at the wrong thing. Right. We have no homes. Right. We don't have enough supply. Right. And they're not building enough right. to supply to catch up. I mean, we're, I, I think in DFW right now, we're still not up to two months. We Correct. still don't have two months of supply in the Correct. area. And prices, actually, I just saw today in, uh, in DFW, prices actually went up uh month over month you know from it was it would, these were october numbers from or no mm -hmm. i'm sorry uh, november numbers from october um but it went up like you know two percent from where they were now they were down but they went back up a little bit because again rates are coming down a little bit people are starting to see that going okay well i do need to move because a lot i think a lot of people sat on the fence saying i don't want to move i don't want to do anything because rates are too high mm -hmm. But then as time goes, you're like, well, I need to, I need to, I need mm -hmm. to, I need to. And eventually you have to pull the trigger. Right. And so so what's what's occurring right now is that with rates being high like they are, the demand is down, mm -hmm. but the prices haven't fallen off mm -mm. because there's still plenty of people as far as what the demand is looking for houses trying to get them. Right. And the thing that I keep trying to you know reiterate is that when you look at housing starts and where they're headed for single family, mm -hmm. they are down mm -hmm. and they continue to go down. Mm -hmm. Um the multi-units, the condos, the apartments, those are way up. I mean, yep. apartment investments on those have gone through the roof yeah. on what they're starting with that. So more and more that just leads you to the point that, look, there's not going to be the 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 affordable house that that was out there, mm -hmm. you know, 10 years ago. I bought mm -hmm. my first house for $130,000 mm -hmm. in middle of Arlington. It's not there anymore no. until they change how we build and what we build or, you know, there's some kind of revolution in how houses are constructed it's not going to change anytime mm -hmm. soon. So if you are going to buy or want to buy, the time is now because of inventory, not yeah. because of rates. There's inventory, there's sellers, sellers who sell during the holidays or during the like winter months, like the non-traditional months, typically they are motivated. They're being relocated. You have They've to. had another child. Yep. There is a divorce. Yep. And so it's a great time. I mean, eight months ago, we were we were offering 40000 above appraised value. And we we knew what it was going to appraise at. Yes. They were bringing forty grand in cash. Yeah. Take that and buy down your rate if your rate hurts your butt so much, yes. right? Yes. Um, if that's such an issue. But take the forty grand that a seller will give you right now. Yes. I have a, a buyer right now that that they were, the home was originally listed at 675000 uh, it made its way down to six eighteen. Mm -hmm. We're under contract for five seventy five with yep. twenty five thousand dollars in closing costs, uh -huh. and it appraised at five fifty three. Like, hello. Yeah. So, but this home, although I think six seventy five was high from the get go, I don't think they were off between six hundred and six twenty five. Mm -hmm. You know, when we were originally yeah, going under contract, yeah, where we from where we came from, they wouldn't have been that far off at all, and we would have paid forty over. Yes, right, and so just. It's such a great time. And I, I look at when are, when are, what are other people doing? Like the mass public? Cause I want to do the opposite. The opposite. Yes. yes. 
Well, that's that's how people who make money think. Yeah. Well, that's the Warren Buffett thing where he says you buy when people are selling and you sell when people are buying. Yeah. That's and the then buy it. the houses nobody wants because yeah. you can fix them up and build sweat equity. We just did that with a property. We bought it for one seventy five. Um, we ended up putting a roof on it. And so we're in it for like, I don't know, 185 or something like that. Uh, and then we totally got it and renovated it. We're in for 265 and the home's worth like 310, 320. Um, so we, you wouldn't have gotten that. And, and, and that's an entry level price point. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the 250,000, $225,000 home, the first time home buyer, it's not, it doesn't, I mean, it's a, it, I guess there are some floating around out there. And if you go far enough out you know, yeah. of the Metroplex, you can find something, but otherwise it's a unicorn. Well, and then here's the other thing, the home, the price you secure right now, you get to stick with forever. They always say like, marry the home, date the rate. I don't think the consumer understands what that means, but basically we all have the, our little, a little, a little quit or quips that we like. To the price around. you negotiate right now yeah. is going to be your price. Yeah. Your interest rate's not. If it goes down, which they're saying, oh, it might. Okay, great. Then go refinance it and go, you know, go with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure your lender will, you know, waive your closing costs if you refinance, if you'll work with them right now. Because again, we don't have a oh, lot of They'll be calling you, I, I yeah. assure you, as soon as the rates go down. And so if you can save money later, great. But yeah. what I'm telling you is save a lot of money right now. Yeah. And, and you know, you've also seen on Facebook, uh, in uh, rent is 100% interest. I mean, it's true. You are, you know, throwing away a certain amount of money. So where is the reasoning in, I don't want to buy because I'd rather rent. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And then people say, well, the recession and maybe we're going to lose our job. Oh, you're not going to pay your rent if you lose your job? Yeah, I mean, you're still going to have a rent payment, so it's not going to change anything. Because honestly, a bank, when you lose your job, is the most forgiving. Yes. Like you can get by, if you'll call them and you'll work out a plan with them, yes. typically you can create, you can you also get six rent. months of room if you need it. Mm -hmm. You're going to pay it back. You will on the end. Yes, yeah. but, but they'll still give it to you're you. You're telling me you're not going to find a job in six months, right? Your landlord will kick you out. Here's the thing. If the, if the recession's so bad that we're going to go six months without a job, probably the banks are going to offer even more because they don't want to foreclose on you. They don't. It, we all learned from 2008. So, you know, I don't really understand that reasoning as well, but we get it. Yeah, well, sure, sure. You just well, have to know how to combat it. Yeah. And, th and that's that's where you're saying the education part plays such a big role just because what you were saying about coming to the office and having these conversations with other agents. And, you know, I've I've say a similar thing in that, like my wife and I have this conversation a lot, just in that, like if you're doing real estate activities, whatever they may be, mm -hmm. having an open house, going to the office, yep. you know, uh, attending a class, getting training, whatever. If you're doing those things, your phone tends to ring mm -hmm. for whatever reason. It just tends to ring. But it's, if you're we call it real estate karma. Yeah. If mm -hmm. you're sitting in your house sulking because you haven't closed, the, you know, a, a property in two, two months or you're whatever. And you know, you're, distracting yourself with watching some show or whatever. Well, then those things don't come your direction. Yeah. Scarcity breeds scarcity and abundance breeds abundance. Right. So I want to be around people who are talking and thinking abundantly. And you just never know. Like we um, go over our upcoming listings at, during every single team huddle on Tuesday that our team does. And uh, we have people put deals together from that. Yeah. And I mean, great, like, yeah. and, or they'll be like, Ooh, you know, and maybe get a listing from that. Or we'll even tell them, Hey, before your listing ever comes on the market, we're going to, we have a room of agents that represent 200 buyers. We're going to talk to people that know what 200 buyers are looking for right. even before we come on the market. I'm curious your opinion on, uh, on a, on more of a grand scale when it comes to our industry as a whole, but what, what are your thoughts on the recent influx of the, I don't even, I'm not as concerned about the iBuyers necessarily as I am about, you know, the large um, 
private equity groups mm-hmm. buying up real estate mm-hmm. all over the place. Do you think that that is a short-term thing? Do you think that it's overblown? Do you think that it is a, is a threat that can be an issue? Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a major threat yeah. and I think it's going to raise our home values. And I think that, you know, when your kids and my kids get to the home buying age, they're not going to be able to, which is why my husband and I are buying homes yeah. because, you know, we're, we're big on building wealth through real estate. And the fact that, you know, you're either paying somebody else's mortgage or you're paying yours. Correct. Um, additionally, somebody's paying, so you can get somebody else to pay your mortgage, right? And and have an asset that builds wealth. And so we're determined to buy some entry-level homes that, you know, either we can sell and, you know, give the down payment to our kid or um, they can pay us rent and we can co-sign them on the mortgage or something like that right. when they get the age that they can start paying the mortgage payments. Um, because otherwise, you know, I, I don't know how to set my kids up for future financial success. I bought a home at 25 and I don't see them being able to do that unless there's some kind of assistance there. So I do see that as a threat that they see Dallas, Fort Worth, Phoenix, um, Atlanta. Those are the test markets for all these companies and they are coming in and they're buying up the inventory. Yeah. I wish there was some kind of regulation on the amount of homes that um, investors can buy, but I think it was like one in four last year. It was 33%. Mm-hmm. 33% of the market was purchased by um, by non-individuals. Mm-hmm. Now, I, there was a percentage of that that there were some private, you know, individuals like investment like the llc that bought it or whatever but but the vast majority of those were large equity groups that came in and private equity groups and you have to understand what happens to a rental they don't take care of the outside they don't like they it stuff gets chewed up stuff gets beat up um and you you know fences fall down the neighbors get frustrated they move out it becomes more of a rental community um and the investors don't care they're looking at it on paper in new york they don't care that's been my my concern, you know, and it's I've, I've had this for a couple of years now. Just in that, you know, if you look at other industries, right? Um, cars is my mm-hmm. favorite example. Go back to nineteen hell, go back to nineteen ninety. Yeah, you know, most people own their car. Mm-hmm. They, they they may be making payments on it, but mm-hmm. it was theirs. They right. were after two years or three years, they were going to pay it off to be their car. Um, I would venture to guess, and I haven't looked up the statistic recently, but I think the vast majority of people now lease mm-hmm. their car. Mm-hmm. I they, they don't own it. They certainly don't own it outright. And now they're given notes seven years. You can pay on your car for seven mm-hmm. years. It's way depreciated after that period of time. Uh, but like we were talking about before we came on about having that monthly payment. Yeah. Every business on the planet wants that monthly payment. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, we, we rent our cars. We mm-hmm. rent our media. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when you were a kid and you had the CD mm-hmm. thing that you would be sick, you know, that big case of stuff mm-hmm. that you were driving around. Now everybody has Spotify, everybody has Apple, and you pay a monthly fee for that. Well, mm-hmm. if Spotify shut down tomorrow, you don't have any music. Your, you know, your music's gone. And um, and my fear is, and and what I think is happening is, I think they're starting to move that into housing. Mm-hmm. Um, People are more comfortable with that. Yeah, monthly. Yeah. It, they're saying, "Can I afford this from a monthly standpoint?" That's right. Not- Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And, and it's like, you know, I get that. That's the number one question from every, and I understand that it should be, but it's, what's the payment? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, here's the payment. Here's what, but my, my fear and my concern for our industry as a whole is that if we don't do something to limit the amount of, you know, large investors that can come mm-hmm. in and purchase these homes, or we don't do something to, you know, I'm, I'm all for subsidizing, subsidizing building, you know, mm-hmm. building homes, you know, cities, municipalities, helping out builders mm-hmm. to make housing more affordable, to give people that first for step sure. into it. Um, but if we don't make those changes, we're going to get to a point where housing is going to be a commodity like anything right. else. And we're going to just, be everybody's okay going to be renting. Payment. Yes. Yeah. And that takes the opportunity of 
the greatest opportunity to build wealth in America. For the average American. Out of our hands. Absolutely. Yeah. I uh, just went to a wealth conference on Monday, wealth building conference that Keller Williams hosted. And um, they made us develop out a 30-year strategy to have $50 million in net worth. Oh, wow. And I was like, I don't like this. This isn't people motivated. I don't need $50 million. This is annoying. Like all my like limiting beliefs on why I shouldn't do this stupid exercise. And I was like, okay, fine. It was the admittance into the conference. You had to do it. So I was like, well, I guess I'm better sit down and do it. Right. (laughs) And so I start mapping it out and we currently have three properties. One is the office that we locate out of my business rents from me. Um, and, uh, then we have two investment properties aside from that. And then our individual homes, sweet. Um, And so I started looking at if we could buy two properties a year Mm -hmm. um, and that we'd have to put down 20%, right? And they're about $300,000. So I would need about $120,000 a year to be able to do that and buy two properties. If I could buy two properties a year, they appreciate 6% every year. And we pay, I had to do a straight line payoff. I know with loans, you it's less that comes off at the beginning and more at the end, whatever. It didn't matter. It's just all based on principal balance. Right. Or... So I did like 11%. You you drop 11% on your what you owe every year because yeah. I did a straight line, which I know is not correct. But anyway, close enough. at the end of 30 years, which is what we would get at, well, no matter how we weighted it, um, it was a net worth of $50 million if you had 32 rental properties. So if you are looking at, oh, well, why do I care? I'm okay with the monthly payment, et cetera. I get that. But if you can turn around and look at the why would I want to own my home and then why would I want to own rental homes, the wealth building that can happen is mind boggling. Okay, so fine. Oh, Jordan, cool for you. You can buy two properties a year. Good for you, which, by the way, will be a super stretch for us. Right. But um, what about one property a year? So we'd need sixty thousand dollars plus as a realtor, you can throw in your commission. If you found the deal, there's 6%. So you, you only have to money. bring 14, yeah. right? Um, for your loan. Uh, so, okay. What if you can find one a year? What if you can find one every other year? Say 30,000 a year, find one every other year. Okay. Find one a year, you'll be worth 25 million in 30 years. Find one every other year, you'll be worth 12 million in 30 years. And have income generating properties. It doesn't suck. Yes. No, it doesn't. Well, and, and I think that's just a limiting... I think people have limited... Um, mindset. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it, not even a mindset. It's just, it, they can't see beyond the trees, right? Sure. I, I live here. This is what I see. This is all I know. I can't, I can't think that far out. Um, and then, you know, I think a common excuse is, well, like, you know, I, I don't care about money. I, I don't, yeah. Look, you have to have money. Yeah. Okay. Money is required to eat. Money's required to mm-hmm. live. Money's required to do everything that you want to do. And the good news is if you have a lot of money, mm-hmm. then you can do whatever you want to do. Right. You know, and that's money buys freedom. Mm-hmm. It doesn't buy happiness. Mm-hmm. It buys freedom to do and participate and 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 get involved in whatever it is that you want to do because right. you know that your basic needs are met right. or that your lifestyle is met because you have this income and this revenue and you have these assets. But if you're just constantly thinking, well, you know, I, I got to get paid on Friday so I can go buy this and go get out. And then, you know, next Friday I'll get paid again and then I can go do this and get, then you're never going to get to that point. Or you get hit with cancer. Or yes. Or, or a car wreck. Something terrible happens. a disability. Happens, and then you're done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, I, I think that, you know, I always used to give the coaching stuff a hard time, you know, to some extent, just because um, I think it's just like anything else. What, what I did realize is like anything else. It's the 80-20 rule, just like everything else in life. Yeah. Whereas 80% of the coaches are mm-hmm. BS and 20% can really make a break a career if you want them to. And, but I think it's necessary 
whether you want to call it a coach, whether you want to call it a mentor, whether mm-hmm. you want to call it your friends that you hang out with, that sure. you spend your time with, you have to have somebody in your life that is constantly helping you go forward mm-hmm. and not worried about what's happening behind you or worried about what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to go that way. That's the way I need to go. And I need people around me that are going to boost that up and help me get that direction. I call that the Davis team. <laughs> that's right that's what it is but exactly I, you know you're going to come into my world you're going to do the work it's a you know ben kenny always says it's a, it's a balance between love and results like yeah. you're going to do the activity and then you know there will be the love and the nurturing and the mentorship and the coaching and all of that and you know i'm going to believe in you until you start to believe in yourself so yeah. at least borrow my belief in you until you believe in yourself um and be a mentor for what you want to grow into every step of the way. Yeah. I've been there from growing a business. I didn't inherit a business. I wasn't from here. Remember Bethany, Oklahoma, yeah. Texas A&M, Miami? Yeah. That wasn't DFW, right? right? And so um, I can show you how to build that if you came from nothing. Like we can show you how to get there. Um, but I'm going to borrow that, you know, and then I'm going to teach you how to wealth build. I yeah. am in love with the conversations that I get to have. I I love when I get to get out of production conversations and I get to get in wealth building conversations. That's so exciting. I had two of those this week and it's so exciting for me to like start forecasting that future for again, people who are the first to graduate college, the first to make six figures in their family, yeah. the first to own a home and now they're going to invest. And that's like, that that's like legacy. Yes. And that creates for the, yes for the rest of your life and and you have to be willing to be uncomfortable because yes. in the beginning it's going to be hard especially if you've never done it before if you're yeah. learning it you have to be okay you have to be okay with being uncomfortable because if you can push through it i think it's kind of like the military right they send you to boot camp for the first however many weeks that you have to go and it's miserably hard and it's challenging yeah. and it's it's one of the worst parts of it but if you can get through that, mm-hmm. you come out the other side and the value and the lessons and the discipline and everything that you've taken from that experience does nothing but help you with every other facet of your life to the right. end of time. Right. And and if you can, I'm not saying you got to go to get the Davis team boot camp, <laughs> but what I am saying is that you have to be willing to be challenged, to be held accountable, yep. to be put, you know, put in an uncomfortable position because that's the only way you're going to grow. And I tell my team, I I love you enough to hold you accountable before your bank account does. Yeah. Somebody's going to hold you accountable. Yes. One day. Life doesn't work that way. Right. right. And so it's either me and this conversation, which is awkward. And I hate awkward conversations. Yeah. Absolutely. Like a lot of people get that wrong about me. It's painful. Um, I would just want to love on people. Right. Yeah. And so to have to say like, you made this commitment and your actions aren't speaking to your commitment. So, you know, would you rather settle for comfort? or would you rather settle for or would you rather achieve the goal that you set out to achieve and keep the commitments that you made to this entire team because I did a budget based on the commitments you made to this entire team and so but it's just like I love you enough to hold you accountable yeah and because it's not fun it's way more fun to be like you rock high five and I know you are bombing and not making your connects and I'm just not going to be that person in your life that's going to just you know fill you with hot air I'm going it's not sunshine and rainbows all yeah, the time. Sometimes because when work. your bank account hits, it's going to hurt. Yes. Yeah. And then when it's when it's doing well, they'll appreciate it. Yeah. Right? Just like your kids. When they get older, they'll appreciate all the hard stuff you made. Gee, I hope so, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Keep telling me that. Well, I really appreciate we're We're actually hour 15 into this. Okay. We, we were going for a long time. So um, I really appreciate you coming in. Um, I hope that anybody that, you know, made it all the way through it right now or goes back and listens to this later. Um, I think there's a lot of great stuff in here. And I think that... Um, you know, you're uh, a credit to your profession. Um, you're 
no matter what you were going to do, whether it was going to be the Davis team in real estate or whether or not you were going to continue to play volleyball or whatever it was going to be, I think you were going to have success at it. So uh, some people are just wired that way. And, and I think that you're one of those. So um, anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? Well, I appreciate you having me. And I, I will say from a f- professional standpoint, that feeling is totally mutual. I see you like doing far more, uh, you know, adding value to your agents and our partnership, you Thank know, you. has been wonderful. And you're constantly coming up with value for our team. And I appreciate that so much. Well, thank you very much. Um, I also want to do a shameless plug. If this was valuable, if you would like more content, not only does our team, um, you know, add me on Facebook, it's Jordan Elizabeth Davis. Um, but also I have a Facebook group called real estate plus sign There's okay. a plus sign real life. Okay. And so what we do is during COVID, I basically saw a need for realtors to be able to get content out quickly, okay. but we don't all have a marketing team. Right. So we would put something together for our team, mm-hmm. post it, send it to our clients. Mm-hmm. Like for example, during COVID, it was like what to do for an open house, wash your hands, right. wear booties, whatever we decided we're going to spray down, et cetera. So we just take our logo off everything and we post it on that site. We have our open house standard operating procedures. We have all kinds of so just like generic content mm-hmm. that, that other agents can post. business planning that you okay. can go and pull off of. And um, again, our goal is to make the industry better. Awesome. Well, I was going to put, um, I know you have a, a business planning that's coming. Is there still spots in that one for next week? Yeah. Uh, converted. So it's not business planning. We've done that one. Um, but oh, this is lead conversion. Lead this is lead management. conversion okay. mm-hmm, with uh, Valencia on our team. Okay. I'll be there as well. So I'll put that in the comments. Yep. So there's that in there. And then we'll put the Facebook group in there yep. as well. Yep. It's um, Wednesday, the 14th at 3. Okay. 404 West Kennedale. Perfect. Yep. And All right. Be there. I will be there. Yes. Should be fun. So um, again, thank you so much yep. for coming in. And uh, we will definitely do it again sometime. Thanks, guys. All right. See ya. <laughs>